Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. One of the key factors in the success of any business is what kind of culture does leadership help create the employees embrace? Uh, We know how important that is. The research is really compelling. Uh, Just looking at some of the studies on this, 82% of respondents say culture is a competitive advantage. And if we think about talent acquisition and retention being a critical factor for long-term success. Nearly 90% of job seekers are saying a healthy work culture is vital for success. And there was a study a few years ago, right before the pandemic, looking at the cost of not having a healthy work culture and what that results in, in terms of employee turnover Five-year period estimated cost of that turnover, $233 billion. So there are compelling reasons to develop a healthy and a productive work culture. We're going to dive in and explore that with someone who's really passionate about work culture. Daniel Todd is currently the CEO and founder of Influence Mobile. He has served as a mentor and advisor to Disney tech stars, Seattle tech stars, and several startups. Previously, he co-founded the online media company Zango. While there, Zango was ranked several times in the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies and was in the top 10. Daniel is also credited for creating a culture that repeatedly was recognized amongst peers for outstanding work culture Washington State CEOs, and the Puget Sound Business Journal's Best Places to Work Awards multiple times. So Daniel not only is passionate about work culture, but he has delivered that as a leader. Daniel, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Hey, Dan. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to to chat with you. So I want to take a look back. You've had this successful career entrepreneur as a business leader, but I want to go back to the beginning and what really sparked your personal passion for developing and maintaining healthier workplaces? Uh, Well, I'd like to say it was some grand design, but it kind of happened uh, organically by mistake. So in my very, in my my late twenties, I I became a co-founder of a startup and didn't really even conceive of company culture, right? You know, I grew up doing work in construction companies and things like that, where the word company culture wasn't even a realistic thing. And so uh, we started hiring people and we we started hiring people solely based on what we thought was their skill. We didn't even consider like, how would they get along with other people? What would, you know, company culture wasn't a thing. And we hired these people that a few folks had told us were we're kind of buttheads and, and kind of caustic and we're like, well, but they're salespeople. We need, we need, you know, you need those kind of people. So <clears throat> we hired them and it was both the biggest mistake and the biggest blessing that I could make in early career. So it was a mistake because it almost killed the company. We hired these people 
They were very conceited. They thought because they had sold television commercials that they could sell this new product and they didn't. We started to fail um, and they just sought to blame everybody else. People hated coming to work. I hated coming to work. Um, and it was during this time that I was like, this this can't be the best way to do it, right? You can't just hire these people this way. And so I remember one of the gentlemen sat around and said, like, as we were running out of money, they had put through some fake IOs and no cash came. And he's like, you should fire everybody else and just keep me. And I was like, I don't think you understand. We don't, we don't have any money. So we laid off everybody, uh, but our CEO pulled some money out of his own savings and paid me a small amount to stay on. And I took over the job of these salespeople. And the one thing I can appreciate is that they never, they really, you know, they had a very optimistic approach and they just kept going. And so uh, we took over, you know, I took over and we were not profitable and not making any money, like less than a million dollars a year. And I just started hiring kids right out of college that I really enjoyed working with. And I started training them up. And again, it was a new product. I didn't even like the idea of being the salesperson. Uh, and I just tried to make it a fun environment. And we all learned together. And over the next four years, we grew that company uh, to $50 million in revenue, grew the sales team to 40 or 50 people. We had a ton of fun. And uh, and again, before I really knew that it was called company culture, I was just hiring people that I got along with well, treating them fairly, having them feel motivated. And then along the way, I started reading books and realizing that that's kind of what they meant by company culture was what we had developed sort of organically became then this blueprint for the future for my current company. Yeah. You know, as you were telling that story, I love it because there's that aspect of servant leadership, which has been a important thread as part of this podcast, that there's a humbleness around, you know, we talk about failure and, and what do you take from failure? Well, it's never really failure if you take learning and you apply learning from it into future success. And it sounds like for you, going through more of a humbling experience and, and kind of the light bulb went off that says, wait a minute, uh, there really is an opportunity here. Um, the human factor does matter when it comes to the chemistry and the culture. So there, there's some servant leadership and some, some humbleness going on for you as a leader, as, as you were going through that learning experience, wasn't there? For sure. And there was this, there was this other concept that I wasn't I didn't have words for, but uh, I eventually read the the book Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck, which is an amazing book. And so what I came to realize was that I highly valued people who had a growth mindset, which means they are humble. They do believe that not only they need to continue to learn and, and can learn and can get better, but that everybody around them can grow and learn. And so it gives you this this opportunity to look at people as kind of empty vessels that can grow into whatever, you know, however you invest in them. And so whenever I went away from that, even, you know, we grew the first company about 300 employees and every, nearly every time, I'd say 90% of the time that we were like, well, we need a really senior executive in this area. You would come in and you'd get somebody who wasn't humble. You'd get somebody who, you know, thought their way was the best way and they ostracized people. And so time and time again, I saw that sort of growing your own people, investing in them and letting them uh, shine became my recipe for success in terms of building a culture and a successful business. Um, and yes, it, it, it always is humbling to see uh, how awesome other people can be and that you're not, you're not always the one who's 
needed to build a, a successful business. Uh, that is absolute truth. Now, we're obviously in very, very dynamic times. There's been a lot of change and we think about global workplaces, how we work, uh, the global markets uh, with the pandemic, all of that stuff, very much a high change environment. Daniel, what makes creating that positive culture that we were just talking about maybe even more difficult today than it was even, say, 10 or 15 years ago? Well, I think it's different. I mean, it's not, it wasn't easy then, right? I think if, if a person's going to build a good culture, it, they need to spend time and be proactive in it. Certainly, some companies, you know, I think about the big tech companies these days. In their early days, they were just growing like crazy and handing out stock options. And that kind of excitement makes building a culture easier. But no matter what you do, whether you're in person or remote, you have to be purposeful about it. Now, the challenges with being purposeful about it in a remote environment like ours, where we have people spread throughout North America and, and other continents, is it's not just that easy to go grab everybody and go down to the, the corner pub on Friday and chat like it used to be. And that was a big way we built culture was you know seeing each other in, in a semi-not-work environment where you could talk about your kids and uh, their hobbies and what's going on, and you could build those relationships. And that that just flat out doesn't exist for most people today. It can, if you have a hub of people like we do in Seattle, they can get together. And so what I've really been investing in in the last few years is trying to figure out what is the best we can do in, in creating real world opportunities, face-to-face real world opportunities for people to build relationships that augment uh, the disadvantage of working remote, because there's also a lot of advantages for working remote, which is why a lot of people want to keep doing that better work-life balance. We all don't have to spend hours a week in traffic. And so for me, it's just finding out how frequently we need to get people together. And so uh, it's at least once a year. It's probably two, three, or four times a year, depending on the group of people. And then You've got to, as you as you have those uh, opportunities to build face-to-face relationships, it makes the ongoing Zoom relationships more robust and full yeah. and easier to do. And so uh, a big part for me, you know, apart from just how we operate as a remote company is integrating real world uh, face-to-face events mm-hmm. at the right cadence. Yeah, you said something really powerful there and it was relationships and relationships built on a foundation of trust. And it sounds like by having and committing to that regular cadence of get people together physically to reinforce um, that trust level that then extends out when there's the virtual uh, working relationship. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's not dissimilar to like a fam, you know, family, like uh, you can't just never talk to your kids and uh, never create positive memories with them and then discipline them. And that's going to break the relationship. So you need, you know, in work, you know, there are times where there are challenges and people are worried about timeframes and, you know, it's easy, it's easy to get annoyed by somebody else coming and just asking a routine business question. But if you just hung out with that person and walked around the San Diego zoo together and got to know them as a person, you're much more likely to take that, you know, 50, 50, you know, Slack message, as 
hey, they're just checking in on this project, no big deal. And those small things build up in a good way or a bad way. And, and it, it behooves us as leaders to make sure that we facilitate not just good interdepartment relationships, but even cross-department relationships. Mm-hmm. And some, sometimes uh, even people who never have a true business need, you know, the, 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 the finance people never t- need to talk to the dev people really, but it makes both their jobs better if you let them do that. And so but appreciating that and spending time and money to build those relationships isn't always the most obvious thing to do. And, you know, you, you might not be able to do it when you're 10 people, but as you start to get bigger and bigger, we're about 70 employees, it becomes more important that people that work remote, that work on small teams, that are disconnected from, say, bigger teams, have that opportunity to feel connected to that group. It's going gonna, it's gonna to increase their job satisfaction. It's going to make them more motivated to understand your business. They're going to come up with ideas from their perspective. And we've just seen, you know, as we're starting to lay that foundation, very, very positive feedback from people who, who've got to participate in those kind of events. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Now, if we're thinking about people leaders and maybe first time early stage uh, in career and you're moving into a people leadership role, that can be a little daunting what are some of the common pitfalls you see uh, maybe those less experienced people managers make that could unintentionally contribute to some culture challenges? Sure. The exact one I made, which is you, you judge every person based on their uh, what looks like their resume, right? You, you just say, well, this person has 15 years experience and they have these connections and they have this, or that, or the other thing. And you don't pay any attention to, their culture fit. You don't have them talk to different people. Like that is probably the mistake that everybody makes, like not just inexperienced people. And, and like I said, it's a painful mistake to make. So that's, that's probably the first one. Um, And then I would say blaming it on other people, right? If, if, if you've started to hire those people and you start to have a negative culture, it starts with the leader. So the leader has to you know, be, you know, if you think about it, like uh, some Legos, like the leader has to be that first piece that connects to somebody else. You've got to care about somebody, make a good positive connection. And, you know, usually, I mean, for me, I was the very first employee, then I hired a second employee, then we hired yeah. a third employee. So it's easier when you start from ground level, but you need to start someplace and create a positive relationship, a strong culture, and then that can start to invade and fight against the negative stuff that is can naturally exist in, in a work relationship. And the leader has to, has to take ownership of that. And that, that really transitions into a, a bigger question, which on, on this podcast, I've, I've talked to many company founders that are on a growth path, but one of the things they say is one of the most difficult things is that defining what, your vision for the culture that you want is, but then beyond that, how do you actually deliver it? And then also important, how do you sustain it over time? And that's one of the hardest things they say that they, they ever have to do. What do you see? You started to touch on some of this, but what do you see as really the keys to not just creating, but sustaining that culture that you want? Sure. So I think it's it's depends on the person. So I've I've worked with a lot of people who, I mean, nobody says I want to have a bad culture, right? That 
would be ridiculous. But there are plenty of people who say, I want to have a good culture and then don't do anything about it. They don't actually value it significantly enough to treat sort of the, let's say your company culture had a measurable KPI. Like it's possibly one of the most important KPIs in your business. It's hard to measure, but I've just seen too many executives who wouldn't take the time at the end of the day to go to those social events and build the time. And so they say they want to build a culture, but they don't invest in relationships. And so first you have to, you have to honestly value it. You need to see it as a strategic advantage that benefits you as a leader. It benefits your shareholders. And quite honestly, if you're not doing those things, you're, you're not maximizing shareholder value, which as an executive is, is kind of your job. And so uh, you need to not just give it mouth service. You need to actually care. And then once you care, that's the foundation. you got to focus on it almost like nonstop. And so it becomes as much of a focus in my job today as any other single thing that I worry about. And like my job now, thankfully, as we've gotten bigger, I don't necessarily do as many day-to-day activities as I used to. I was an individual contributor in a lot of different areas. Now I'm focusing on building the team, making sure the team's efficient, uh, and mostly how to make sure that every single person in my company is happy to be working here. And now there's, you know, there's a quid pro quo. It doesn't, it's not all, all altruistic. Uh, I expect people, because I'm investing in them, I'd like to imagine that they are willingly working back in my favor and the company's favor, right? And so it becomes this virtuous circle where I'm investing in them. I really do care. I want them to, I want them to get opportunities to grow. I want them to feel satisfied in their career progression. I then want to pay them more money as they do that, which creates more value for them, which then makes it so that they can invest more in our company. And then that drives this wheel of business growth, which ultimately benefits shareholders. But you really got to believe all that and invest the significant amount of time to get it working. And, And I don't always see senior executives do that. Yeah, it's really interesting in my own career journey, you know, and I've seen different approaches by senior leadership teams. And sometimes, you know, there's a very visible commitment to wanting to remain connected, right, with the employee base. Sometimes it feels like that senior leadership team is operating in a silo or on on their own island and they're very detached. And that isn't a good feeling either. And I'm wondering, Daniel, as you are committed going out, remaining engaged, do you find that there's an initial skepticism uh, filter that you got to break through, you know, where the employees say, well, I see the CEO is out. Maybe he's reaching out for an impromptu conversation, check in. Is there any skepticism you have to overcome or do you find it very, uh, usually very welcoming and and trusting from the outset? Uh, It varies by the person. So for the most part, I would say there's a lot of trust, like because we're so focused on bringing in people from the outset that value growth, you know, that have a growth mindset to the degree that we can identify that. Um, Most people, you know, they'll read some of the articles that I've written and they're like, I can't believe a place like this exists. I can't wait to come here. But there are people who've had really bad workplace trauma experiences and they, they almost go out of their way to interpret anything as self-serving. And that could be because of their experiences, right? That somebody uh, was saying one thing and doing the other. So, so that does happen. And, and that's why, you know, the other thing that I would say that senior leaders have to, to be clear on is they can't do it alone. You cannot have 
unless you're running a very small company, say sub 20, you cannot have meaningful relationships with all 20 of those people. You must rely on other people. And the best case scenario is that you bring in people who value culture more than you, right? And are even better at it than you. And so um, if you can do that, then it makes that communication to say the individual who just came in and had some workplace trauma. It's not just the CEO who they don't necessarily get to talk to all the time. It's day-to-day in their management uh, manager's life or their coworkers. And then very quickly, it's easy to see that there's a difference here. It's not just one person talking about it. It's everybody living it every single day. And like I said, I'm, I'm happy to hear oftentimes when we bring in new people, you know, they'll say things like, you know, I can't believe how much time people take to really help me get integrated. And, you know, people really care about my success here. And, you know, you hear that enough, you realize that you're just, you know, I'm just a small part now of the company culture and most of the goodness that's happening and the experiences that employees have day to day is coming from other people. But it's still important for me to set the broader vision and make sure everybody knows we're all driving in the same direction and it doesn't go off the rails at some point in time. Yeah, that onboarding phase. So you think about n- introducing new people in to the culture, that phase of uh, those early days and weeks, such a critical time in setting a tone for for what that culture is, right? And making people feel more comfortable and hopefully motivated to want to actively contribute in a positive way to keeping it going. Totally. Yeah. The, I read this book recently called the power of moments and we, we didn't invest, invest as much into the onboarding. Like there, there was, you know, as we were, you know, when you're pretty small, you don't have like formal training programs and it's kind of word of mouth. Uh, and, and this book talked about how there's this huge opportunity, right? People are super excited on their first day of work. And so we hired a guy who is, uh, heads our BI team, who's, way better culture than me. He's so purposeful. Uh, for some of his people, he started giving the, sending them welcome packages with company swag. <laughs> like he did, this, he did this all on his own. And, and I'm like, we should be doing this right for everybody. Uh, and so his, his example had us start to invest both in that and, and a more formalized training program and all those different things. Cause yeah, as you start to get bigger and you hiring more people, that trajectory starts to become more and more important, right? If you're adding 10 people a year or 15 people a year. Um, and so it's it's been a, a purposeful effort on our behalf to ask everybody, in the, you know, ask new people, what did we not do right? What can we do better? You know, what do you wish you learned in the first week that you didn't learn until the sixth week? And so we've been putting more energy into that to make sure that next year when we add 10 more employees, those people have as optimal of an onboarding experience as, as we can give them. And again, you're calling out the value of having a active listening process, right? And, and not making those assumptions, but going out and validating and getting the voice of the employees. That's just so critical. Uh, it's a reality check, isn't it? For senior leadership. For sure. Uh, I think the, it's, it's very, I, Anything we do, I always assume, you know, like any new program or anything that we roll out internally, I always just tell people it's an experiment. It's a constant experiment. We want, you know, how frequently we have company meetings, what we talk about at the company meetings, what we do for this, what we do for that. And, and the experiment is always, how does everybody like it? And so 
my fear was always that I'm forcing people to participate in something that I'm thinking is creating value and it's really having a negative impact. And so the best way to prevent that is to ask people, get their feedback and constantly adapt. And something that worked, you know, six months ago might lose its efficacy, you know, and so you might need to take a break for a while, do something different, and then you can return to it again. Uh, and so it takes a lot of, you know, yeah, attention and to, to make sure you keep things, you know, fresh and interesting for people. Yeah, you know, the other process that, of course, is uh, in place at, at virtually any company is per- performance management. And I was just thinking about that being typically so outcomes focused based on maybe company goals or business unit goals or team goals. And it's very much around technical competency, of course. Um, there's always an element of that. But where you can incorporate, again, uh, a focus on the feedback aspect. So that should be a dialogue, not just the manager, the leader sharing feedback on performance, but also performance in terms of back to that human factor, the behaviors are, are the behaviors being demonstrated that are consistent and aligned with the culture expectation. And and sometimes that's missed, right? It's back to falling back. You're talking about resumes, looking at experience and skills but overlooking, again, the dynamic of human relationships and uh, the collaboration and all of that. So it feels like that's another piece that reinforces the culture is if you get the performance management process focused on the right things, then that just continues to feed and reinforce the culture. For sure. Yeah. We, we bought a company about three years ago. Uh, and they're mainly awesome people. But they did. They did not have the same kind of culture we had. And so, uh, when we when we first brought them on, there started to be some pretty clear people who kind of stuck out from everybody else. And so, given our growth mindset focus, we 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 assumed that everybody could, you know, if if they were given the right information and helped and coached along the way, that they could uh, turn it around. But uh, and we were successful most of the time. But there were some people we had to end up letting go just because they couldn't, they were, they were again, maybe technically competent to do their job, but they were actively destroying the culture. They were making other people's lives miserable and it, it stuck out like a sore thumb. Like you could, you could see it from a mile away. And, you know, if anything, we were just, we were often too slow because we want to give people the opportunity to change. We're often too slow in making those changes, but that's a hard balance to find, but yeah, for sure. You got to pay attention to that. Now in, in all of this, where does mentorship play a role? That, that's that got to be a key ingredient. For sure. Yeah. And so less, I would say less, we don't bring in mentors as much for say culture factors. Although most people that we bring in as mentors are people I know. Um, we, we made a big focus about a year and a half ago to offer anybody in the company that wanted a mentor. We did not, it was not a requirement. Some people don't want to do that. And so all the people who were interested, I went out and tried to find, you know, people in my network or closely related that, that could come in and we would pay them for an hour or two a month. And, you know, there was more than a handful. It's probably a dozen people who, who, who took us up on it and they were very, very happy with that process. And so, um, we try to encourage people to, to do mentorship both in both directions. Mentor, be mentored by somebody who's got you know who's ten years ahead of you where you want to be. 
mm-hmm. uh, and also mentor somebody who's a year or more behind you that, you know, and so that's also fun to see uh, as we've, 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 I've seen people grow from, you know, college graduates to VPs in our company. I'm now seeing the opportunity for them to mentor college graduates. And it's really satisfying to see that whole loop come to fruition. And it's kind of outside, you know, it's kind of outside the company's core processes. So like there's a, our VP of operations, a gal named Megan has taken the most advantage of mentors and she's gotten a, a handful of amazing people who've helped her. And just recently she started a mentorship with a friend of mine's daughter, who's taking on a similar role that she did many years ago. And, and so it's just very nice to see that, you know, we're helping another business and another person from, from the work that we did. And so I like, I like to imagine that that as we invest in other people that eventually, you know, circles back around and benefits us as well. It is the ultimate pay it forward. It just, the cycle keeps continuing. That That's fantastic. And we've been talking a bit about uh, mentoring here and um, the advice and the learning. I want to ask you, when you look back and you reflect on your business career, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? I mean, this is an easy one and it's, it's a hard one. So it's treat others the way you want to be treated. And, you know, I think we learned this when we're children. I remember many years back, uh, we had to do some layoffs and a lot of the people that were being laid off, it wasn't their fault. It was the company's financial performance. And I was distraught about the whole thing. And I remember talking to my dad about it and, and he's like, listen, you can't, you literally cannot stop this from happening or the company run out of money and everybody will lose their job. He's like, the one thing you can do is treat these people the way you want to be treated. And of course I had heard that before, but when I really put that into practice, like I literally thought through Mm -hmm. what would I want? I just, I thought about it in a more complete way. I was like, well, what I'd want is a new job. I'd want that that person to care about me so much. And so while I couldn't get everybody new jobs, I could prep them. So we had, resume writers, we had LinkedIn uh, update professionals available. So people get this bad news, very emotional, not good. But, you know, we gave them as much severance as we could possibly happen. And then we basically said, like, you know, we're going to write you recommendation letters, we're going to give you, you know, people to help on this, that and the other thing. And while it was still emotional, two hours later, you wouldn't have imagined how, you know, it wasn't upbeat and positive, shall I say, but it was neutral to slightly positive because people really appreciated how we were treating them. And I remain friends with many of the people that got laid off during that time. And I'd like to think it was because I treated them the way I want to be treated. And and that's, I think, generally the most people can ask. It is. And what you're talking about is really the difference between taking more of a transactional mindset into something like a layoff event Versus again, um, the respect and the dignity, keeping that at the forefront, and and really appreciating putting yourself into the shoes of someone else. So you're again back to servant leadership, Daniel. It's it's putting others first in terms of how you approach uh, those conversations and 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 how you just hopefully continue a relationship even through tough conversations. Yeah. The the other 
piece of advice. I know you asked for the best piece, but another really strong piece of advice that I probably would have undervalued when I first started it was reading books regularly. Mm-hmm. There, there are very few things in the business life that somebody else hasn't already dealt with. And there's even few, fewer of those that someone hasn't written a book about. And so whether you're looking to grow and you want ideas, whether you want to figure out how to be a better leader, how to motivate, do whatever, books are such a good way to give you advice and prevent yourself from having to learn the hard way, which is making mistakes. And so I remember my co-founder of my first company gave me this book, Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. Um, and it, it really set me on my path for reading business books and uh, I have I have benefited greatly. I have I think I've slowed down recently, but in the last couple of years, I've read dozens and dozens of business books, and each one of them have has a different focus. I go in with a different goal, yeah. uh, but it's really been invigorating and gives you you know for me gives me lots of ideas. And, and you don't have to read them all. I read them old school most of the time, but you know books on tape work as well. Go on a hike, mm-hmm. listen to a book, mm-hmm. um, and so and then the ones I think that are awesome. I buy for everybody in the company and it gives us a a common language to talk about certain things. And that's the other thing about books. Like before the lean startup movement came out, we were doing startups and we were doing things that were like lean startup, but we didn't have words for it. And so that same thing with growth mindset. And so all these things you, you think about and you can't totally articulate, but when you read these books, it gives you the, the language to explain it to other people. So you're all in sync. Yeah, that's really, really a great opportunity. It's it's all out there and it's available. Uh, and and this rich content, this learning content. Now, in my book, The Impact Makers, I devoted a whole chapter to how critical an optimistic mindset is. Uh, that's one facet of exceptional leadership. Daniel, when you think about the future, what makes you optimistic? Uh, my favorite thing is to see the people on my team growing and learning. And, you know, we've had We've had good success over the last five years. We've grown from uh, seven employees to 70, from $3 million in revenue to $70 million in revenue. And during that time, we, we didn't have as knowledgeable and as good employees as we do today, right? Everybody's learned more. Everybody's more engaged. Everybody's happier. People are taking an interest in the business metrics, understanding not just how their day-to-day actions uh, make a difference, which that's good, but they start to think more holistically about these things. And so I get very excited about the collective intelligence of our company starting to work more together collaboratively to, to innovate and come up with new things. We, we're in a business that didn't exist very many years ago and is new. And it's not very many people in the world doing it. And so there's not a playbook on what's the best way to grow our business. And so but getting a lot of smart, smart people who have different perspectives gives me a lot of excitement to see if we can't just make the growth we've had over the last five years seem like a snail's pace. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other final advice for leaders that are looking to enhance the workplace experience for their teams and hopefully contribute to improving their team's performance? I would just reiterate what we talked about, which is it is you've got to talk to everybody. And it becomes harder, you know, obviously if you're running a company with hundreds of thousands of people or even thousands of people, that's not practical. Uh, and so you need to have some kind of proxy talking, but you need to pull people. You need to ask them frequently. 
what's important to them, what do they want to see, they, they need to, they need to uh, hear from you and know that you care about them and that you want to actually listen to them. And so that, like I said, it is it's itself a, a big task. We rolled out a new uh, profit sharing program this summer called Coinfluence. And I could have emailed everybody in the company and just told them the details, but I scheduled one-on-ones with all 65 employees, which took, you know, with a normal work schedule, about two months to complete. But it was very valuable to me to look each person in the face, even if it was for 10 or 15 minutes, and explain to them how valuable they were, why I was meeting with them, why I wanted to give them a bonus tied to uh, our our company goals. And then, of course, I asked them, you know, what could we be doing better? And so I can't under, you know, underscore enough or overstate enough the importance of talking with your employees on a regular basis. Well, Daniel, thanks again for joining and reminding all of us just how critical it is to make the commitment as a leader to build a healthier workplace culture. It's going to lead to competitive advantage and it's going to make transformation possible. Really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah. Thank you, Dan, for having me. I love what you're doing. Thank you. And a reminder to everyone, please continue to give the gift of feedback so that we can make this podcast even better. You can go out, rate and review. It's very easy to do on all the major podcast platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.